0: And if you need a Bible, just raise your hand and one of our ushers will will give you a Bible to follow along today. If you're new to the Scriptures, just simply look in the table of contents and you can find the page number for the book of Exodus. We're doing a series through Exodus right now. Last uh, or two weeks ago, we looked at the first eight plagues. And the overall reason as to why God sent plagues to Egypt uh, during this delivery process of of his people out of slavery in the land of Egypt. And today, we are zooming in on plague number nine, and that is the plague of darkness. So you can find that in Exodus chapter 10. And while you turn there, let me just tell you a story that Jesus told, and it's found in Luke chapter 16. Jesus told a story of a rich man. He said he wore purple every day. Day. That's, that's like, you know, some of you are like, purple, why purple, right? Some of you are wearing purple, looks great on you. Uh, in, in the ancient world, purple was a sign of luxury, all right? So if you're wearing purple today, well done. He wore fine linens every day. Every day he lived in a, a, a life of luxury. Now at the rich man's gate was a beggar named Lazarus. It says, Lazarus longed to eat the food that fell from the rich man's table. The picture is Lazarus is just laying there at the gate and he sees a, a, a bite of meat or maybe a crumb of bread fall from the table of the, the rich man wearing purple and fine linen and Lazarus' uh, mouth begins to water and he, he, he wishes that he could just have that little bite of food that fell from the rich man's table. In addition to that, Lazarus had sores all over his body. Boils, perhaps. What a life of misery. Well, one day, life and sickness caught up with Lazarus, and he died. Another beggar, dead in the streets. People stepping over him, perhaps. Buried in a in a grave with a, a whole bunch of other people. Well, around the same time, the rich man died. Now, Jesus, this is a parable Jesus is telling. It's, it's somewhat of a metaphor from this point on. Jesus wants us to get a glimpse now into the eternal reality of the rich man and Lazarus. After death, the rich man is not in luxury. He doesn't have a table full of food. After death the, the rich man is in torment. He has nothing but his own pride. And he sees across this this, this 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 distance and he sees Lazarus sitting at Abraham's side, which is a picture actually for the table, the feast. Lazarus is in the light of glory, eating the feast of heaven, sitting next to Father Abraham. The rich man is never named. Lazarus has a name that is written down into the Word of God that will never fail. The rich man lived his entire life in luxury, and he spends his eternity in the dark. And the poor man lived his entire life in poverty and in sickness. And he spends all of eternity in the light. What was the difference? Well, the difference was this. The rich man was trusting in his riches, trusting in earthly things, trusting in himself perhaps. The poor man had nothing else to trust but Christ the poor man was living in the light of Christ. Too many professing Christians today are living in the dark. Notice, I said, "Professing Christians." In church, every week, call yourself a Christian. You do Christiany, churchy sort of things, and you use churchy kind of vocabulary. And you're living a life in the dark. Other Christians, genuine Christians, who have been brought into the marvelous light of Christ and their eyes are closed and they're sleeping. Or they're sleepy. They're inactive. Well, today as we get into the ninth ninth plague, we see this contrast of dark and light. And these are themes that travel all the way through the Bible, and I want to dive into it today. So let's read God's Word, Genesis chapter 10, starting in verse 21. Exodus, I am in Genesis. We're doing a series through Exodus, is that right? All right, I thought we were doing Genesis. My apologies. All right, Genesis chapter... (laughs) Hey, whatever book you'd like to turn, just make sure it's chapter 10, verse 21, Exodus. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us not a hoof not a hoof shall be left behind for we must take them to serve the Lord our God and we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there but the Lord said but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go then Pharaoh said to them get away from me take care never to see my face again for on the day you see my face you shall die Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. Father, we ask that you, that you would help us this morning as we dive into Exodus chapter 10. As we look at this plague, we know that this is not just simply a, a, a bit of history that is preserved for us to read today, but rather this is your word. This is life. Speak to us. Move in our hearts through this passage. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Darkness first appears in Genesis chapter 1. God created the earth, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And it was dark, actually, until the Spirit of God moved, hovered over the earth, and then God made light. God then separated the light from the dark. The light He called day, dark night. He gave a sun. The sun for the day. The moon for the night to reflect the sun. The sun would be this, this common grace for all of humanity. The sun rises on all. The, the, the light of the sun, the rays penetrate the earth and cause things to grow. Vegetables and fruit. The sun gives light for the day so that humans might work and harvest the fruit that is grown. God gave humans the sun so that we might see things, enjoy beauty, enjoy one another. God gave humans the sun so that we might function. The sun is maybe the best example of what's called common grace. Common grace, it's, it's, it's for everyone. The sun rises on the just and the unjust. The sun uh, rises for the evil as well as the wicked in this earth. Now, one day, common grace will be removed. But in this, in this era in which we live, we have such a thing as common grace, the sun, the warmth of it, the light of it. Now, ancient Egyptian theology placed the sun god as the highest of all gods. The sun god was the most powerful god. The sun god was to be revered. They called him Ra. Sometimes they called him Horus. The sun was father and the earth was mother. The sun's rays would penetrate the earth and the earth would... Produce. In Egyptian theology, the first humans were direct descendants, productions, if you would, of the sun. And they were once, as a result, happy. Ra was to be worshipped, Ra was powerful, Ra was light. Ra is subservient to God. Ra doesn't exist. Ra is rebellion against God. This is like classic Romans 1 rebellion. They rejected the Creator and instead they worshipped what? The creation. We rebelled against God and we We worship something that God has made. This is life for us. This bit of common grace is our God. The Son is our God. God is about to show His power over Ra in these passages. God is about to say, this is my Son, S-U-M. This is my light. And He is about to leave them in utter, absolute darkness. The complete darkness. Removal of this common grace known as light. Now, this is not your average plague. This one is horrifying. For us today, we, we really don't quite get it, all right, because of the common grace of B, G, and E. All right, some of you are like, B, G, and E and grace don't belong in the same sentence, well, be honest, we can, we can uh, light up our homes at a relatively cheap price compared to at least the ancient world. We can hop into our cars and flip on the headlights and go wherever we want to go. We have such a thing as, as nightlife. This is unheard of. All right? Some of you are sleepy today because you were up late last night. Why? Because you have the common grace of electricity. Electricity. TV, lights. But even today, though, think about it. If the lights went out, if the sun didn't rise for three days, even even today, with electricity, it would be quite horrifying. At the very very least, something's wrong with nature. Our economy would shut down for a couple days. Well, think, in, in, in in the ancient world, what it must have been like to lose the light for three days. Now this, this leads me to the first reality of darkness, and that is this. Darkness is dreadful. Everybody say dreadful. dreadful. Say it in like a dreadful kind of way. Darkness is dreadful. Thank you. Yeah, nobody did it. Thank you, Tony. I've been... Uh, teaching the kids Sunday school class lately, which is one of the, the uh, joys of being a pastor, is you do just about everything once in a while. And uh, and if by the way, if you have any kids, bring them to Sunday school. It's, they have a great teacher. Um, <laughs> we've been uh, taking some time going through prayer. We're learning the Lord's Prayer together and teaching the kids how to pray and and so we're starting out by taking prayer requests, right? And, and then teaching the kids how to pray for a prayer request. So we were going around a couple weeks ago getting prayer requests from the kids. And, and they were the typical, like, you know, pray for this scratch on my finger. Um, pray for my spelling test, you know, and all of that. By the way, if you're a parent, every prayer request from your child, wonderful prayer request. God cares about the scratch on your finger, right? Uh, but then I get to four-year-old Alethea. all right? Now, Aletheia's dad is a doctor, so this isn't quite fair here, but I get to four-year-old Alethea, and, and I say, Alethea, how can we pray for you? And she said, courage. Courage. Okay, we can pray for that. Is there any you know, particular way in which a special endowment of courage might be helpful for you? And she said, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid of the dark. And I need courage in the dark. Do you remember what it was like to be a kid and be afraid of the dark? Some of you still are, right? Especially in October when... <laughs> in October when Halloween movies come on and you stay up too late and wonder why you watched that, right? Dark... The dark, darkness is dreadful. For the ancients, darkness was an ominous threat. In the dark, there were thieves. If it was absolutely necessary in the ancient world, you might travel down a well-known path. If the stars are shining and the moon is shining brightly, reflecting the sun, but if it is gone... Even that bit of common grace? Absolutely dreadful. At night, in the ancient world, in Egypt, cities would be locked. As soon as the sun sets, we go on lockdown. The the courtyards would be closed tight. Doors would be shut and locked. And we see here in this story in verse 21 that this is a darkness. It's a complete and utter darkness, not a star in the sky. It says it's a darkness that they can feel. Now, I... I Theologians debate whether or not they could actually feel the darkness if it was a material or whether it was more of a groping kind of feeling around, which is where I lean. I think what he's saying is it's, it's going to be so dark that it's a feeling kind of darkness. It's the kind of darkness where you can't see anything other than what you can feel with your hands. You can feel, essentially, your, your, yourself around, but that's about it. Utter darkness... What does this mean? It means utter horror for the people of Egypt. Absolutely dreadful. Now, in the Bible, darkness is a theme. In the Bible, our rebellion is always portrayed as darkness. And the end of our rebellion is the utter darkness outside of Christ. And it is meant to horrify us. Written to the in the in the ancient world, in the ancient context, the horror, the ominous threat of darkness, it is meant to horrify us the same today. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 9, the wicked are silent in the darkness. Job chapter 18, verse 18 the wicked are driven into darkness. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 14, fools are. Walk in darkness. Joel chapter 2, verse 31. This is a picture of hell. It says the sun has been turned into blood and there's nothing now but darkness. Darkness is a picture given to us in the Bible and it is meant to horrify us at the reality of rebellion against God. And some of you know that reality. I've had the opportunity to hear some stories this week. Some of your own stories. And I know that some of you know what the dark is like. Spiritual darkness and the consequences of spiritual darkness. You've been a subject of racism and you know what that darkness feels like. You've been a racist and you know what that darkness feels like. Women. Who have been nothing but uh, but an object of, of uh, sex meat for men to look at? You know what the darkness is like. The darkness of pornography and lust. The darkness of finding uh, endlessly finding trying to find hope and security in dating relationships. The darkness of depression and anxiety and worry. Just a, just a taste. The reality of what sin is—it's—it's—it's it's, it's dark. One way that I would encourage you guys to uh, to share with each other is this: share your stories with each other. Just as Julie did today for us, share your stories with each other. Talk about the darkness that you've experienced in your life, as a way to remind us of the reality of sin—that it's truly dark. I mean, one question that we should always be asking of ourselves as a church is simply this Are we as a church reflecting the light of Christ in all of our ways, in all of our relationships, in all of our worship? Or are we in some way reflecting the dark of hell? Does our community know that there is light? Does our community know that there is light to be found? Does the threat of darkness cause any concern in your soul? You know, the darkest day ever was that day in Genesis chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, when God shot Adam and Eve out of the garden. And a flaming sword was placed at the entrance of the garden. Never again would they be able to enter back into the glory of God in this world in that way. Never again in this earth will they taste fully the light of God. Are you in the dark? Or are you in the light? Secondly, darkness is disabling. It is dreadful and it is disabling. Look at verse 23. And before, before I read that, let me set the stage here. Again, in the ancient world in Egypt, there was no such thing as nightlife. There was no club called Mosaic. All right, The Egyptian dance came thousands of years later. They weren't doing anything after the sun set. Douglas Stewart explains the horror of this and the absolute <coughs> disabling nature of, of darkness in the ancient world. If they had the ability to have one, a lamp in the ancient world consisted of a small clay pot that would be pinched at one end, possibly pinched around the edge. It would be filled with oil, and then a wick of sorts would just be kind of laid in there and lit. And you had as much light as you had wick and oil. This was an extremely expensive way to light up anything. And it would have been something that not everybody had in the empire. But even if you did, on a dark night, especially when the clouds are covering the sky and you're not uh, seeing the sun or the, the stars and the moon, and you were to walk out of your house with one of these lamps, you might be able to lift it up high enough to just barely make out your neighbor's face. Take it inside your house and you could partially see your way around the house but that's about it now remember thieves are out in the dark going outside trying to do anything during this this three day period would have basically made you a sitting duck prey. no your doors would have been locked you would be home You'd be sitting with your eyes wide open, seeing nothing. This is what you call disabling. All right, they're not going to work, they're not picking apples. They're completely disabled. The the economy of Egypt is completely shut down for three days. Even Pharaoh doesn't call Moses until after the darkness is lifted. For every other plague, it was before that. But he couldn't even, he, Moses, or Pharaoh rather, was, was disabled in his own abilities. For three days, the text says, this darkness prevailed. Now, look at, verse, look at verse 23. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from their place for three days. They're, they're sitting in their homes for three days, doing absolutely Nothing. I was driving down the highway to Westminster the other day uh, for a meeting this past week. And that's a beautiful drive, by the way, this time of year. The trees are changing, the way the light reflects off of the the fall foliage. And as I was driving, I had this text in my mind, actually, and I was looking at, you know, everything that I'm, you know, the beauty of, of, of fall. And I was just trying to imagine what it would be like if God, right now in this moment, just turned the lights off. Just completely took away the, the common grace of light. And here I am going 65 miles an hour. What would happen? Horror, right? We can't imagine. You wouldn't be able to see to pull over to park safely. The crash would be unbelievable. The, the, the total loss of life would be, uh, har- it's hard to comprehend. I mean, th- Light. Do you realize how much you take light for granted? Light allows us to be functional in as as a, as a in this world, and to remove the light broadly, every single human being loses the light. It's it's absolutely one hundred percent disabling. Hebrews chapter eleven verse six says this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Sin disables us. The darkness of sin uh, uh, keeps us from even the ability to please God. Now you might say, look, I can do a lot of good stuff. You might be able to love still. You might be able to serve. You might be able to give. You might be able to to, to raise a family. But the very most important duty in all of your life, you are absolutely unable to accomplish. And what is that duty? The Westminster Confession, question one, puts it like this. What is the chief end of man? Answer. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Oh, you can do a lot of good things. But look, if you are unable to glorify God with all of your being and enjoy Him with all that you are, you are disabled. You are unable to please Him. You help an old lady across the street. Why did you do it? Maybe because you were looking for a spiritual brownie point. Maybe because you were hoping someone would see you. Maybe because you wanted to feel better about yourself, right? Look, anything done that is not done for the glory of God is sin. Sin disables us. Sin shuts us down. And without the knowledge of God, and without the knowledge of God incarnate, the God-man, Jesus Christ, all things for His glory, we are unable to live. We're unable to please Him. Family, do you, or if you believe that Jesus Christ is indeed your Savior, do you realize that God has opened your eyes from the darkness? If you believe that Jesus Christ is the very God of very gods, that He is light of light, that He is the only hope that we have in life. And in death, God has given you the ability to do something that you were previously unable to do. If you were today, and if you are able to worship Him, to actually worship God, do you realize that you are now able to do something that at one, time, uh, one day in time past you were unable to do? that God has in His mercy for you through shedding His light on you, given the ability to please Him and to serve Him? Do you realize that we have the supernatural ability to have community with one another? You know, every other organization in all of the earth uses tricks and tactics and special days to try to figure out how to build community. They have community days. We're just going to pull ropes and walk on things and try to build community, right? You know that the church is the only organization in all of the world that has a supernatural community. We 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 have uh, uh, relationships that, that come together and and uh, under the name of Christ, under the truth of Christ, and we just all of a sudden are forgiving one another and loving each other and building with each other. It's supernatural. We can scratch our heads all day long and try to figure out how to build community. But it's not until God gives us the ability to forgive, to love, to care, to have concern, that we can have community. Any aspect of the spiritual life is something that God has just given to you. Don't ever let years of being a Christian allow you to take for granted the very ability to worship Him. Are you in the dark? Or are you in the light? Thirdly, darkness is deceiving. Darkness is deceiving. Yesterday, I ran into a couple young college drunk kids. They were about 21 years old. And uh, one of them was almost done with law school and got a DUI and realized he's not going to be a lawyer, so he dropped out. And man, they were having fun. All right, they were loud, they were laughing, they were wasted. And they were in a debate with uh, some of the guys that I was hanging out with last night about whether or not they're living a good life. You need to rethink your drinking habits, one of my friends said. They're like, whatever, man, this is fun. And then one kid said, one of them said, I live for blackout drinking. Wow. Well, they're 21. They've yet to experience a hangover, I guess. Have you ever been sharing the gospel with someone and they're in the dark, but they just don't realize it? And you can't convince them that they are in the dark? Well, that's the very nature of spiritual darkness. Darkness is deceiving. Look at verse 27. Before I read it again, let me me explain this. When you are in spiritual darkness, when you are chained to spiritual darkness, the terribly deceiving aspect of it is that you don't know it. You don't realize it. Now going back to the story here, the lights come back on for Pharaoh physically, but the lights do not come on spiritually. Look at verse 27. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now we talked about that a couple weeks ago, and if you want to explore more about this concept of God hardening Pharaoh's heart, you can listen to my sermon two weeks ago. I addressed it a little bit more there than I can do today. There's also a 26 page article that I can send you that is wonderful shoot me an email and I'll send that to you the reality though here is this God has given Pharaoh over to sin and God has removed from Pharaoh the, even the ability to repent and as a result Pharaoh again would not let them go after this dreadful darkness he's not going to let them go Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me, take care to never see my face again, for on the day that you see me, you will die. And Moses is like, you pretty much predicted it. I will not see your face again. This has been Pharaoh's problem all along. He's repentant only when the consequences are there. But as soon as the consequences are lifted, he's back to his sin. This is the reality of spiritual darkness. You don't realize it. You're looking at the common grace of the sun and you're like, ah, things must be good in life. Guys, what if God gave you everything that you could imagine in this life? Everything that He needed. He gave you a body that would never age. Hair that would never fall out, Fellas. A body that would never, never find a wrinkle on it. And, and then this body lasted for a hundred years. He gave you a hundred years of life in this youthful existence of luxury. Only to, uh, at the end of it all, bar you from His presence for all of eternity. Would it be worth it? No. Ask nine out of ten people, though, today, or ask, ten, ask ten people today if they are in the dark. Nine out of ten, I think, subjectively, will say, no, I don't think I'm in the dark. And they'll point to aspects of common grace to prove it. I'm alive, I woke up today, the sun's shining. We look around and we can see the goodness of God around us and see the trick of the darkness, the trick of Satan here is to say, look, the sun is shining, you are no longer in the dark. You're fine. You don't have to worry about anything. You've got money in your pocket. You've got a road ahead of you. Live your life. Darkness is absolutely 100% deceiving and you can be in the dark and never know it. In what ways might you be deceived today? What parts of the Bible must you completely ignore in order to keep on believing and living in the way that you believe and live? You know, guys, if if you know the difference between dark and light, if you know the difference between uh, the, the light of Christ and the darkness of sin, that's actually a pretty good sign that you've been born again. Because otherwise, I don't think you would know the difference. You would continue to be deceived, believing that you are in the light, when in all reality, you are in the dark. Are you in the dark or are you in the light? Now, where is the light? Where is the light? Where can we find it? Has there, uh, is there a way to enter back into the glory of God? Is there a way? Is there an entrance back into Eden? Who can ascend the mountain of God, Psalm 24? I mean, who can walk it up? Who, can, can you walk up the mountain of God and, and see Him in all of His glory? Where is the light? Look at the text, verse 23. All the people of Israel had light where they lived. So there is darkness all around the land of Egypt, but there is a light in Goshen. There's been this building contrast all throughout the plagues. of Here in Egypt, there are are plagues, locusts, etc. But over here in Goshen, where the Israelites lived, there is peace. And now the greatest contrast of all, light and dark. Here in Egypt, there is this uh, ominous darkness. And here in Goshen, there is light. If you're in the light, you are experiencing grace. If you're in the light, you're experiencing grace. Let me ask you this question. What did Israel do to deserve the light? What did Israel do to deserve it? What did they do to to create the light? Nothing. Nothing. They're just living their life in Goshen, and the lights come on. It's grace. God chooses a people on whom He will shine His light. And the people of God then and the people of God now are undeserving recipients of His light. What did you do to earn the light of God? Nothing, it just happened. I've heard a lot of your testimonies of how, of how you became a Christian and, and the reoccurring theme is this. It just kind of happened. God just turned on the lights for you. He shined his grace upon you and you saw. Secondly, if you're in the light, you're experiencing growth. Growth. I love 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 4 through 6. Let me turn there really quick and, and read that for you. But you are not in darkness, brothers. For that day to surprise you like a thief, for you all are children of light. You're children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then Let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake. Here in the story... The disabling effect of darkness hits Egypt and they do nothing for three days. But in Goshen, Goshen is a place of busyness. Goshen is a a place of activity. Goshen is a place where life just continues to progress. And as that theme builds in the Scriptures, we realize that we who are children of the light are called to live in the light. Jesus Himself said, you are light. That means... Make sense of the world around you. Shine your light upon the world around you. Live lives which commend the Gospel. Be about spiritual activity in this world. No earthly prosperity can can at all compare to being under the wings of Jesus Christ. If you are in the light, you have found true prosperity. Prosperity. Let me close with this thought. Think of Goshen right now. This is the land of slaves. All right, This is where the slaves live of Egypt. If you're an Egyptian living over here in the palace and the Mosaic tiles, you don't want to live in Goshen. Goshen is a place of huts. Goshen is a dirty place. A filthy place. It stinks in Goshen. But I tell you right now, As the darkness has hit Egypt, Goshen is luxury. Are you blinded by what the world has to offer you? You think Egypt is better? The palaces, the tiles. Yet when the darkness strikes, it's absolutely nothing. There is no earthly prosperity that compares to being in the light. Friends, luxury lived out in darkness of sin is not worth comparing to poverty lived out in the light of God. In Him is light. Jesus is the light of the world. Are you in Christ today? Have you found Him? Do you know Christ? Run to Goshen. The gates are wide open because the gate is Jesus Christ Himself and Christ is ready to receive sinners. How is He ready to receive sinners? While Egypt was in darkness for three hours, Jesus, as He hung on the cross, was in darkness for three, or for three hours versus three days. The darkness of sin came over Christ. And Jesus died for every single one of our sins. He took the darkness upon himself and he buried it in the ground. And he has been risen from the dead. And all who trust in Christ find entrance into Goshen. He is the door, he is the light of this world. Who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? You never could before. But the Lord came down the mountain and found you in your darkness. And He died for you. He picked you up. He cleaned you. And He has brought you up to the mountain. And at the top of the mountain, you find the cross. And it's under these wings of Christ that we live. Open your eyes. Wake up to the reality of light. A life of worldly riches in the dark is nothing compared to the luxury of your life as it is lived in the light of Christ. What are you trading Jesus for? What aspect of the dark is more appealing to you? You know, this poor beggar Lazarus, he lived his entire life with nothing but hope in the light. The rich man, however, lived in the dark Trusting in himself, trusting in the common graces of wealth. And the poor man found for all of eternity the light of Jesus Christ. And the rich man found for all of eternity nothing but the dark. Imagine if God gave you all that you want and shut you in darkness for all of eternity. Would it be worth it? Are you in the dark Or are you in the light? Let's pray. Father, we ask that we would all be people that live in the light. That this church would be a church that reflects your light. That we would, as we come together, experience a small glimpse and taste into what it means to be people of the light. We thank you for your grace. Your undeserving favor that you have given to us as You have shined the light of Christ upon us. And we ask, God, for those of us who are sleepy this morning spiritually, that You would wake us up and that we might live lives that commend the Gospel, light in this world. It's in Jesus' name, our light, that we pray. Amen.